Hi folks, this is Rue. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we continue with Jane Austen's Northanger Abbey and Chapter 14. Woo! Give the music. Day another podcast. Yes, yes, that is indeed what is going on today. Oh, I discovered uh, that. Uh, so, um, I have a, a, a nibbling. So that is, I have a, a, a child of a friend whom I consider to be as I would a niece or nephew. Yes, um, and they are. <laughs> I found out the other day that when they're happy, they emulate me. So what, they emulate my my yeses like the way I go yes like that kind of <laughs> and I'm just going okay <laughs> so yeah so when they're happy I have someone who sounds like me when I am happy so that's really kind of cool and also pressure <laughs> pressure but it's okay ah it's just cute no it that's is very all cute. it is it is very cute um. I think my nieces emulate little bits of me as well, which I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I realized, are we just emulate? Like, do we, as we grow up, we emulate. Like, that's what we do as humans. I mean, not parrot-like level, but we, the tendencies, the traits we have, the sounds we make, the way we use certain expressions, well, it's uh, very heavily influenced by that. I, From all I've heard about uh, how to learn a second language is that's basically how we all learn our first is... We just absorb the way the people around us are speaking. Mm, mm. Which, of course, means that if you're wanting your child to sound like the characters in Peppa Pig, expose them to Peppa Pig. If you're not, and if you're trying to avoid someone uh, affecting your child to say daddy is daddy, um, maybe maybe take a miss. Take a miss. Yeah, no, that 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 makes me think a lot of I like a lot of American uh, kids of the 80s grew up on Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and Reading Rainbow. And I guess, you know, I, I still think back on all three of those programs very fondly. And mm -hmm. and I think, yes, the the uh, the media we're exposed to, definitely the media we're exposed to at a young age uh, can do a lot to shape us positively oh, sure. or negatively like i have no idea why but you know how everyone has kind of a childhood film that they've seen they they saw more than most films as they're growing up for mm. some reason my childhood film was indiana jones in the temple of doom that's look, a very traumatizing film look yeah yeah it would be but then again it might have been something that your parents could have tolerated because at least there's something for the adults as well but yes Yes. Well, that and the never-ending story. I remember every time I went to like a play center, they were always show the never-ending story. <laughs> oh God, I can't handle. I just no. I like the book though by uh, Michael Ender. Ender? Did I get that right? My friends will correct me. It's okay. Mm. Oh, yeah. uh, speak, speaking of reading, actually, I'm um, I'm having a really fun time reading at the moment. So usually. I have a nonfiction book going in the morning and then to get to sleep at night, I read a fiction book. And both of mm. them at the moment are uh, very entertaining. Um, at, at, I'm now, I'm about halfway through uh, the first Mistborn book. I believe a few episodes ago, I talked about how I, I bought both the uh, first Mistborn book and the first Wheel of Time book. Yeah, I'm pretty much, yeah, 50% through on my Kindle of the first Mistborn book and just... I don't think I've read a fantasy book this engrossing in years, um, mm. especially like as a first book of a series. Like, Aside from the Dresden Files, but we'll just, you know, that, that, well, that's it, a given. It's been over a decade since I read the first book of that, and it was a similar thing. I fell in love with that series right from the get-go. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there's uh, like every night, you know, I read until basically I yawn hard enough that my eyes close, and then I take that as the... Um, 
sign that it's time to go to bed. And when that happens during this book, I'm like, no, I want to read more. Uh, but then I wake up and I've been reading, um, actually, I call it one of the grandfathers of like the self-help uh, movement. I'm reading How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale wow. Carnegie from the early 30s, I believe that's published in. Yeah, that was a book that my dad tried to insist that we all read. It's a really good book. There are really good aspects to it. Absolutely. Um, but then there was the other one. I had I had feelings on the idea of winning friends or make friends, make friends. Is it make friends and influence? No, it is called winning friends. It is winning it, friends. It's it's not like the actual book is not as manipulative as that word would. Um, yes, yes. Would would uh, signify? I think that's more a yeah. catchy title to get people to buy. Yes, buy and book. that was the thing for me. It was always I always had issues with the title. I read, but I was like, this title is irritating me. I cannot explain why. It's like it you it's not a competition to have like you know that that's what it was like it's not a competition mm. to have friends. And if you treat your friends as something that you acquire or win that way, like it just felt there. It felt there for me, okay? Mm. It was there. Um but then there's um and also influencing people. I always had to add the proviso of is like positively contribute to someone else's life as opposed to like i always need to translate these things because otherwise i get grumpy because my brain you, is mean you get very negatively affected by what you see as marketing speak or manipulative yes uh, manipulative marketing speak and manipulative stuff will always throw me off which is why um i'm a bit of a terror when it comes to if i see assignments if i see papers or publications and whatever and i feel they're not telling me exactly what it is like this is what we did and this is how we did it and this is why we did it and they when they wrap it in a lot of sales speak that gets lost or it just ends up being fluffed and of course you need to have words to connect things and to make meaning so it's not just dry and and meaningless you want to have words that add meaning but i find that and i no offense to our marketing folks out there but some of the marketing that's out there just feels like it's it's like when you get excess packaging, like when you've got a parcel and they've just wrapped the heck out of it in layers and layers and layers of bubble wrap. And you're going, mate, it was a pencil. You didn't have to. <laughs> you went a little over the top there. It's a pencil. You don't need to wrap it you know, in 10 layers of bubble wrap. If you were worried about it breaking because it's an expensive pencil, you know, a small padded envelope would have sufficed. And let, let me ask this question because it feels like... Uh... This may be a contributor because uh, after 15, 20 years of uh, being online, you're probably more sensitive to how the majority of articles or, uh, yeah, articles or videos or anything to yeah. get attention these days usually has a negative title in order to kind of flare people up before they engage with the work itself. Yeah, the, the clickbait method... Uh, and the problem is that if I do at some stage click on clickbait, I regret it almost immediately because I read and I read the first paragraph usually and that's enough for me to go, this was clickbait. Why the heck did I click that? I am not happy that I clicked that and I'll leave. And if they're trying to get me to subscribe to something, that will literally have the opposite effect. I will, I will not and I will tell people don't click on any articles from this and this publication because they're all faff like they, they 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 use um marketing tactics to try and get clicks and, and subscribers and it's just a bit slack and there's nothing wrong with presenting your information in an attractive way but do so in a way where you're not needing to resort to sensationalism or um exaggerated claims or the way that a the number of times that titles are incredibly poorly written and they don't mean what's actually in the article is so much and we're talking also in journal articles it's a thing um or people this is also on the reader if you ever read medical literature and if that's not your jam usually don't just read the abstract go to the conclusions go back to the methods and the introduction and all that but read the conclusions first to get an idea of 
what they where they what they focused on and then go back and double check their methods that it's not full of there's there's actual methods there's courses out there to teach you on Coursera and other places how to read those articles and it's not by reading the abstract and it's definitely not by reading the title mm, that's um, so, that's yeah. a, a method i've used for a long time um because mm. every monday there's um a website called critical distance that releases like a roundup of all the uh the video game journalism and criticism of the last week that they think should a light should be shown upon, especially um, mm. uh, f- from websites that maybe are m- more to do with uh, groups that don't really get represented well within the yeah. s- gaming sphere. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, be- because a lot of these articles can be quite hefty, I, I gain. Yeah, no, it was in, in one of my personal growth books a long time ago. It was recommended that for any article to kind of see whether the article is worth reading. And to for me, I use this more as an indicator of if I like the way the article is written, if I like the writer, mm. I will read the introductory paragraph and then I'll scroll to the bottom and I'll read the conclusion paragraph. And then and go it, back and break it apart, yeah. Yeah, if, if I like the sound of what the article is and the way they write from those two examples, uh, mm. then I'll read the whole article. But... As happens, a lot of the time, I'll get like halfway through the intro paragraph or halfway through the conclusion paragraph and just the way they're writing or what they're writing about, I know it doesn't interest me at all. So I'm like, cool, now I can I can move on. And the thing is, it's not necessarily that you disagree, that you agree or disagree with the conclusions. It has to do with, okay, how is this being communicated? Are they being honest about the limitations of their work? Are they being conscious of the fact that there's more out there that they don't necessarily haven't comprehensively covered but they're the way they approach research this is from a science perspective mm. it's if you're ex, you express it you express it confidently within the context of your the information that you have but you also if you lack that recognition that there is more that can constantly add to this story and here's something that we haven't cons- haven't been able to cover really well because just the way it's designed is not designed for that but it's something that we wish to refine and work on by adding X, Y, Z. So if they actually go into that and it's almost like you need that for me, I need a certain sense of that the researcher knows that what they have has significance, has contributed to the field, but at the same time acknowledges what's out there already and acknowledges that more will come. If you're not in that kind of flow when you're communicating, if you're not actually indicating that there's future implications and what your research might mean for future questions that need to be addressed, then you're, then you're, I don't know, for me, that rubs me the wrong way personally, but also it feels like we're going to have a conflicting attitude towards how research uh, works, that it is part of a whole process. It's not just a, um, a whole bunch of opinions it has to be that it's ongoing it's never ending that's the thing like the con there's a continuum not to to borrow a star trek word and and a general language word but there's a continuum to this there's a constant a constant ongoing process and if you don't have that understanding when you're doing particularly research it doesn't really matter if it's science or not in any form of research if you don't recognize that the more we look at things and the more we explore things from different perspectives the more we understand them then it's not research. It, I don't see that as research. I see that as an opinion, uh, and and it's very finite. And I don't right. Like so it. so it sounds like um, when you're evaluating uh, medical or academic literature, it, it's more you're 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 trying to uncover whether you share a similar research philosophy mm. with. it doesn't mean i'm not gonna yeah it doesn't mean i'm not gonna read their article i'm probably gonna read their article regardless but i'll notice it and if it's missing i'll tend to flag that and i'll look very closely at their limitations and i will look very closely at their study design because that for me is a little uh, we won't call it a red flag because if they don't agree with my philosophy it's not my philosophy it's a philosophy within science that is one of the fundamental philosophies of science which is the principles of uncertainty and the ongoing nature of science um but yeah for me it's a little let's make it a little light red flag a pastel red flag also known as pink but i don't want to use that word so it's because of reasons so uh, it's a little pale red flag that makes me go okay keep a keep a really close look on their method section have a real good scrutinizing glance at that the way they've set it up orange flag yeah orange flag we'll go with orange flag it's a bit of a i I get a bit mm, about it 
Um, and that's okay. Look, and different researchers will have different things that are a little orange flag or even a red flag for them, such as, I mean, the first one is where have they published? And is this a, a an actual journal publishing? Like, is this an actual publication or is this a predatory journal, which is a whole thing. There are that if anyone wants to go down a rabbit hole, look up predatory journals. It's a topic. It's too big a topic. It is intense. And then there's also uh, p-value hacking if you're interested in stat side of things. And there's some things out there that within the research field, no matter what the field, but in the research field, this is a big issue. And the good thing is there's a lot of um, individuals, but also organizations who are dedicated to actually breaking it down and trying to address it in a, in a more systematic uh, fashion. So we avoid... Um, things being published that are not actually published or weird, uh, basically fake articles being published. Right. We don't like that. It's not great. And paper mills is another thing. Paper milling is another topic, which is, no, just there's some bad stuff out there. But there's also a lot of good stuff. There's some beautiful, solid research out there that just makes me smile. So with the bad and the good and the balance of both, and these happy events, was it joyful tidings and dismal woe that do occur and, and crises and victories and whatever that happens, we return to Catherine. So last week, we had uh, we had some fun with the Thorps. Yeah, we we um, I don't want to say it's kind of like the final straw, but it, it like they they it was a clash of values for sure. Yes. Um, and then we've got this thing where uh, Mr. Allen has now basically added his support to Catherine going, yeah, nah, <laughs> this doesn't feel right. And I mean, there's this line that says, Mrs. Thorpe is too indulgent beyond a doubt. But however, you had better not interfere. So the, this was in response to Catherine, sweet, sold, Sweet summer child Catherine, we're sweet souled Catherine, thinking, but Isabella mustn't know it's not proper to go out on a, on a cart, and what if they go? And then that would be really improper. And and as we know, Isabella said, well, I can't go now because you're not going. But every time Isabella says that she couldn't possibly do something in, in uh, Catherine's absence, strangely, it still happens to happen. You know, like, mm. I could never possibly leave you to dance with, with your brother whilst you're waiting for my brother. Oh, well, look, oh, look, your brother's insisting I gotta go dance. So it's, it's never her fault. It's never her fault. It's always someone else insisting. Always someone else making, a f even blaming Catherine. Oh, you know you're such a sly person, or you're such you're so this, you're so that, you're so judgmental, you're so that. And she's like, I no. And if you knew me, you wouldn't say that. But yes, um, I mean, we had Catherine pulling, literally pulling her hand away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, uh, considering how mild she is, that was tantamount to uh, like a slap across the face pretty much yes and this was in response to being told essentially that she was a liar mm. or not honest that she that it would be actually difficult she's like it it's gonna be hard. like i'm sorry i really wish i could but i can't do this again i can't uh, i've already got something going on so could we not do it the next day oh no i'm sure you're not that sad what mm. rude anyway but we continue and your speculation was that the thorps would again interrupt and interfere with the plans yeah i i don't feel like i i think especially when isabella's got an idea in her head i don't think she knows what the word no means yes and the and mr thorpe just seems to be a little disconnected um from anything but his own perspective on life yeah yes yeah so chapter 14 the next morning was fair, and Catherine almost expected another attack from the assembled party. <laughs> With Mr. Allen to support her, she felt no dread of the event, but would gladly be spared a contest where victory itself was painful, and was heartily rejoiced, therefore, at neither seeing nor hearing anything of them. The Tilneys called for her at the appointed time, and, no new difficulty arising, no sudden recollection, no unexpected summons, no impertinent intrusion to disconcert their measures, my heroine was most unnaturally able to fulfil her engagement, though it was made with the hero himself. 
Can I just interject there? That's um, like we've seen Jane Austen interject into her story before uh, that. I believe it was chapter four where she went on that tirade about, of course, women should be able to read novels, yeah. you heathens. But just this fact, like right here, calling Catherine the heroine, my heroine, and then referring to Mr. Tilney as the hero. You know, we, we kind of had this. I, I, I felt like, you know, once Mr. Tilney came back to Bath, it, it really felt like the story was moving in the direction of, oh, is Catherine going to get together with Mr. Tilney? Yeah. But like right here, she blatantly just says, Catherine's the heroine, Mr. Tilney's the hero. That's the way the yep. story's going. Yeah. And, the, and in between, we have a lot of um, people that are interfering and, and causing issues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the idea of a, a, a basic premise of a gothic novel. Um, a gothic romance, specifically. They determined on walking round beech and cliff, that noble hill whose beautiful verdure and hanging coppice render it so striking an object from almost every opening in Bath. I never look at it, said Catherine, as they walked along the side of the river, without thinking of the south of France. You've been abroad, then, said Henry, a little surprised. Oh, no, I only mean what I have read about. It always puts me in the mind of the country that Emily and her father travelled through in the Mysteries of Adolfo. But you never read novels, I dare say. Why not? Because they're not clever enough for you. Gentlemen read better books. The person, be it gentleman or lady, who has not pleasure in a good novel must be intolerably stupid. <laughs> Sorry. I'm cheering. <laughs> I'm gonna... That's gonna clip. <laughs> it's all good. Um, Dave is fist pump, air fist bumping, uh, fist bumping here. So yes. By the way, there's 515 highlights on that, that sentence. Yeah. yeah. Actually, can we just decide and talk about the highlighting on Kindle for a minute? <laughs> the highlighting on Kindle's weird. <laughs> what do you think? So, like, if I'm reading. A nonfiction book, I find it interesting to see the the kind of the public consensus on what's the most important part of information yes. to take out as such books. Yes. Even yes. though a lot of the time, like the stuff I highlight myself is far removed from, I guess, public consensus. And I always feel kind of resentful of, of the group highlights because I'm like, did other people just highlight this because it's been highlighted before and it kind of, you know... T Look, takes on a life of its own. The way it, I see that is treat 50% of them as it's it's peer pressure highlighting. <laughs> but, but then in fiction, I like every now and then I'll, I'll see a group highlight and I'm like, yeah, that's actually a really good sentence. I can see why people like that. But other times I'm just like, what, why is this being highlighted? And why is so many people responding to this sentence? And then, then it kind of takes me out of the book a bit. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree with that, but at the same time, it depends on, like, if you have it, I, you, I'm sure you can have it off. I don't know if you can. Yeah, you can turn it off. But then again, I, I like the idea of it, even though it it pulls me out of the story. It, yeah. It depends on how well it's written. Like, in this particular case, we're just like, yeah, <laughs> we're just excited. But yeah, sometimes it can be a bit distracting. Well, because also Agreed. Catherine was being self-deprecating because of her conversation with John Thorpe about novels and how dismissive he was. And I like that Tilney just like, what what is this why like no um yeah well that's the thing like i, I like this idea of <laughs> also it kind of points out what the author thinks of thorpe mm -hmm. person be a gentleman or lady who has not the pleasure in a good novel must be intolerably stupid i mean and i also the... like there there's stupid and then there's intolerably stupid <laughs> yes there, there there's a level and they are at a level which is not acceptable Anyway, I have read all Mrs. Radcliffe's works, and most of them with great pleasure. The Mysteries of Udolpho, when I had once begun it, I could not lay down again. I remember finishing it in two days, my hair standing on end the whole time. Yes, added Miss Tilney, and I remember that you undertook to read it aloud to me, and that when I was called away for only five minutes to answer a note, instead of waiting for me, you took the volume into the hermitage walk, and I was obliged to stay until you had finished it. <laughs> Thank you, Eleanor, a most honourable testimony. You see, Miss Morland, the injustice of your suspicions. Here was I, in my eagerness to get on, refusing to wait only five minutes for my sister. 
breaking the promise I made of reading it aloud, and keeping her in suspense at a most interesting part, by running away with the volume, which, you are to observe, was her own, particularly her own. I am proud when I reflect on it, and I think it must establish me in your good opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I took her book, and I refused. <laughs> it was my book now. No, it wasn't my book, but yeah. I am very glad to hear it indeed, and now I shall never be ashamed of liking Adolfo myself. But I really thought before, young men despised novels amazingly. It is amazingly. It may well suggest amazement if they do, for they read nearly as many as women. I myself have read hundreds and hundreds. Do not imagine that you can cope with me in a knowledge of Julia's and Louise's. If we proceed to particulars and engage in the never-ceasing inquiry of have you read this and have you read that, I shall soon leave you as far behind as, what shall I say? I want an appropriate simile. As far as your friend Emily herself left poor Valancourt when she went with her aunt into Italy. Consider how many years I have had the start of you. I had entered on my studies at Oxford while you were a good little girl working your sampler at home. Not very good, I'm afraid. But now really, do not you think Adolfo the nicest book in the world? The nicest, by which I suppose you mean the neatest, that must depend upon the binding. Henry, said Miss Tilney, you are very impertinent. Miss Morland, he is treating you exactly as he does his sister. He is forever finding fault with me, for some incorrectness of language, and now he is taking the same liberty with you. The word nicest, as you used it, did not suit him, and you had better change it as soon as you can, or we shall be overpowered with Johnson and Blair all the rest of the way. I am sure, cried Catherine, I did not mean to say anything wrong, but it is a nice book, and why should I not call it so? Very true, said Henry, and this is a very nice day, and we are taking a very nice walk, and you are two very nice young ladies. Oh, it is a very nice word indeed. It does for everything. Originally, perhaps, it was applied only to express neatness, propriety, delicacy, or refinement. People were nice in their dress, in their sentiments, or their choice. But now every commendation on the subject is comprised in that one word. "'While, in fact,' cried his sister, "'it ought to be applied to you without any commendation at all. "'You are more nice than wise. "'Come, Miss Morland, let us leave him to meditate over our faults "'in the most utmost propriety of diction, "'while we praise Adolfo in whatever terms we like best. "'It is a most interesting work. "'You are fond of that kind of reading. "'To say the truth, I do not much like any other. "'Indeed.' That is, I can read poetry and plays and things of that sort, and do not dislike travels, but history, real solemn history, I cannot be interested in. Can you? Yes, I am fond of history. I wish I were too. I read it a little as a duty, but it tells me nothing that does not either vex or weary me. The quarrels of popes and kings with wars or pestilences in every page, the men all so good for nothing, and hardly any women at all. It is very tiresome, and yet I often think it odd that it should be so dull, for a great deal of it must be invention. The speeches that are put in the heroes' mouths, their thoughts and designs, the chief of all this must be invention, and invention is what delights me in other books. Interesting comment right there. That That's often been, I remember how much I hated history class in high school, and when I became an adult and learned more about, like, the great stories of history... It really is a fault of a teacher. History is so exciting and interesting that you really have to work to make it boring. That is true. But also, she's commenting that a lot of history is fiction. Yep. And the fact that it's fiction, it's like, why do I enjoy fiction as in a novel? But I, when it's history, which I know is fiction, most of the time, that little comment there, there's all the men are, are so good for nothing and hardly any women at all. I'm going to postulate that that's the difference because women are barely mentioned in history books because they are generally written out of them, a lot of them. It, it reminds me of, because hmm. um, uh, for about a good decade, like at the end of every year, I, you know, I, I, I look up like those best of year book lists for books to read. And hmm. it must have been like 10 years ago, there, uh, a female historian wrote this wonderful book on Cleopatra, like, like a very comprehensive history of the woman and she actually yeah she was on the daily show promoting the book i was watching it at the time john stewart was still the host and yeah. he, she was telling about how it was quite difficult because the only three histories we have on cleopatra 
were all written by men who were Roman historians, and two of them yeah. absolutely despised her. So there was a heavy political element to yeah. how we remember her life. Yeah, that expression of history is written by the victors is actually a real problem. Mm. Um, but let's see. Mm. Historians, you think, said Miss Tilney, are not happy in their flights of fancy. They display imagination without raising interest. I am fond of history, and am very well contented to take the false with the true. In the principal facts they have sources of intelligence in former histories and records, which may not be as much depended on, I conclude, as anything that does not actually pass under one's own observation. And as for the little embellishments you speak of, they are embellishments, and I like them as such. If a speech be well drawn up, I read it with pleasure, by whomsoever it may be made, and probably with much greater if the production of Mr. Hume or Mr. Robertson, than if the genuine words are of Carticus, Agricola, or Alfred the Great. You are fond of history, and so are Mr. Allen and my father, and I have two brothers who do not dislike it. So many instances with my small circle of friends is remarkable. At this rate, I shall not pity the writers of history any longer. If people like to read their books, it is all very well. But to be at so much trouble in filling great volumes, which I used to think nobody would willingly ever look into, to be labouring only for the torment of little boys and girls, always struck me as a hard fate. And though I know it is all very right and necessary, I have often wondered at the person's courage that could sit down on purpose to do it. That little boys and girls should be tormented, said Henry, is what no one at all acquainted with human nature in a civilized state can deny. But in behalf of our most distinguished historians, I must observe that they might well be offended at being supposed to have no higher aim, and that by their method and style they are perfectly well qualified to torment readers of the most advanced reason and maturer time of life. I use the verb to torment, as I observe to be your own method instead of to instruct, supposing them to be now admitted as synonymous. He's being a smartass. Yeah. He was teasing her for nice, now he's teasing her for torment instead of teach. Yeah, he's, um, it's, it, it, like, it makes me laugh, but, you know, after a year or two of that, it could get very tedious living it with uh, Mr. Henry Tillman. It could, it could. You think me foolish to call instruction a torment, but if you had been as much used to myself to hear poor little children first learning their letters and then learning to spell, if you had ever seen how stupid they can be for a whole morning together and how tired my poor mother is at the end of it, as I am in the habit of seeing almost every day of my life at home, you would allow that to torment and to instruct might sometimes be used as synonymous words. Very probably. But historians are not accountable for the difficulty of learning to read, and even you yourself, who do not altogether seem particularly friendly to very severe, very intense application, may perhaps be brought to acknowledge that it is very well worth while to be tormented for two or three years in one's life, for the sake of being able to read all the rest of it. Hmm. Consider, if reading had not been taught, Mrs. Radcliffe would have written in vain, or perhaps might not have written at all. Catherine assented, and a very warm panegyric from her on that lady's merits closed the subject. She held a speech on why Mrs. Radcliffe is awesome. Fangirled. She fangirled over Mrs. Radcliffe. The Tilneys were soon engaged in another, on which she had nothing to say. They were viewing the country with the eyes of persons accustomed to drawing, and decided on its capability of being formed into pictures with all the eagerness of real taste. Here Catherine was quite lost. She knew nothing of drawing, nothing of taste, and she listened to them with an attention which brought her little profit, for they talked in phrases which conveyed scarcely any idea to her. The little which she could understand, however, appeared to contradict the very few notions she had entertained on the matter before. It seemed as if a good view were no longer to be taken from top of a high hill, and that a clear blue sky was no longer proof of a fine day. She was heartily ashamed of her ignorance, a misplaced shame, where people wish to attach they should always be ignorant. To come with a well-informed mind is to come with an inability of administering to the vanity of others, which a sensible person would always wish to avoid. A woman, especially, if she have the misfortune of knowing anything, should conceal it as well as she can. Oh, that's biting. Yes. <laughs> 
The advantages of natural folly in a beautiful girl have been already set forth by the capital pen of a sister author, and to her treatment of the subject I will only add, in justice to men, that though to the larger and more trifling part of the sex, imbecility in females is a great enhancement of their personal charms, there is a portion of them too reasonable and too well informed themselves to desire anything more in a woman than ignorance. Mm. But Catherine did not know her own advantages, did not know that a good-looking girl with an affectionate heart and very ignorant mind cannot fail of attracting a clever young man unless circumstances are particularly untoward. In the present instance she confessed and lamented her want of knowledge, declared that she would give anything in the world to be able to draw, and a lecture on the picturesque immediately followed, in which his instructions were so clear that she soon began to see the beauty in everything admired by him, and her attention was so earnest that he became perfectly satisfied of her having a great deal of natural taste. Mm. He talked of foregrounds, distances and second distances, side-screens and perspectives, lights and shades, and Catherine was so hopeful a scholar that when they gained the top of Beecham Hill, she voluntarily rejected the whole city of Bath as unworthy to make part of a landscape. Delighted with her progress and fearful of wearying her with too much wisdom at once, Henry suffered the subject to decline, and by an easy transition from a piece of rocky fragment and the withered oak which he had placed near its summits to oaks in general, to forests, the enclosure of them, wastelands, crownlands, and government, he shortly found himself arrived at politics, and from politics it was an easy step to sign. <laughs> oh, wow, there's just so many little great uh, little poke barbs. I, I know that doesn't probably make sense to most people. It made sense to me. Yeah, just just, there, just like like every, everything she's writing about, the topics they're talking about, just seems so biting. Yes, like... Let's just, you know, yeah, let me demonstrate my wisdom. Uh, but no, like he's not, it doesn't seem to be that bad, but it's just like, to give men credit, there's some who actually appreciate less than ignorance in a woman, but like it, it is a comment. It's a huge comment on the time. The general pause which succeeded his short disquisition on the state of the nation was put an end to by Catherine, who, in a rather solemn tone of voice, uttered these words. I have heard that something very shocking indeed will soon come out in London. Miss Tilney, to whom this was chiefly addressed, was startled and hastily replied, Indeed, and of what nature? That I do not know, nor who is the author. I have only heard that it is to be more horrible than anything we have met with yet. Good heaven, where would you hear of such a thing? A particular friend of mine had an account of it in a letter from London yesterday. It is to be uncommonly dreadful. I shall expect murder and everything of the kind. You speak with astonishing composure, but I hope your friend's accounts have been exaggerated, and if such a design is known beforehand, proper measures will undoubtedly be taken by government to prevent its coming to effect. Government, said Henry, endeavouring not to smile, neither desires nor dares to interfere in such matters. There must be murder, and the government cares not how much. The ladies stared, he laughed, and added, Come, shall I make you understand each other, or leave you to puzzle out an explanation as you can? No, I will be noble and prove myself a man, no less by the generosity of my soul than the clearness of my head. Oh, fuck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Austin's barbs versus Dave's uh, Dave's attempts not to swear. Oh, no. <laughs> not gonna happen. A, a lot, a lot of the uh, sentences are hating me in this chapter. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I have no patience with such of my sex as disdain to let themselves sometimes down to the comprehension of yours. Oh, wow. Oh. Perhaps the ability of women are neither sound nor acute, neither vigorous nor keen. Perhaps they may want observation, discernment, judgment, fire, genius, and wit. Miss Morland, do not mind what he says, but have the goodness to satisfy me as to this dreadful riot. Riot? What riot? My dear Eleanor, the riot is only in your own brain. The confusion there is scandalous. Miss Morland has been talking of nothing more dreadful than a new publication, which is shortly to come out in three duodecimo volumes, 276 pages in each, with a frontispiece to the first of two tombstones and a lantern. Do you understand? 
And you, Miss Morland, my stupid sister, has mistaken all your clearest expressions. You talked of expecting horrors in London, and instead of instantly conceiving, as any rational creature would have done, that such words could only relate to a circulating library, she immediately pictured herself to a mob of three thousand men assembling in St. George's Fields, the bank attacked, the tower threatened, the streets of London flowing with blood, a detachment from the Twelfth Light Dragoons, the hopes of the nation, called up from Northampton to the insurgents, and the gallant Captain Frederick Tilney, in the moment of charging at the head of his troop, knocked off by his horse by a brickbat from an upper window. Forgive her stupidity. The fears of my sister have added to the weakness of the woman, but she is by no means a simpleton in general. Catherine looked grave. And now, Henry, said Miss Tilney, that you have made us understand each other, you may as well make Miss Morland understand yourself. "'Unless you mean to have her think you intolerably rude to your sister, "'and a great brute in your opinion of women in general, "'Miss Morland is not used to your odd ways. "'I shall be most happy to make her better acquainted with them, no doubt, "'but that is no explanation of the present. "'What am I to do? "'You know what you ought to do. "'Clear your character handsomely before her. "'Tell her that you think very highly of the understanding of women.' "'Miss Morland, I think very highly of the understanding of all the women in the world, "'especially of those, whoever they may be, with whom I happen to be in company. <laughs> "'That is not enough. Be more serious. "'Miss Morland, no one can think more highly of the understanding of women than I do. "'In my opinion, nature has given them so much that they never find it necessary to use more than half. Oh, geez, shall that's not a bit get... backhand. That's, yeah.' We shall get nothing more serious from him now, Miss Morland. He is not in a sober mood, but I do assure you that he must be entirely misunderstood, if he can ever appear to say an unjust thing to any woman at all, or an unkind one of me. It was no effort to Catherine to believe that Henry Tilney could never be wrong. His manner might sometimes surprise, but his meaning must always be just, and what she did not understand she was almost as ready to admire as what she did. The whole walk was delightful, and though it ended too soon, its conclusion was delightful too. Her friends attended her into the house, and Miss Tilney, before they parted, addressing herself with respectful form, as much to Mrs. Allen as to Catherine, petitioned for the pleasure of her company to dinner on the day after the next. No difficulty was made on Mrs. Allen's side, and the only difficulty on Catherine's was in concealing the excess of her pleasure. The morning had passed away so charmingly as to banish all her friendship and natural affection, for no thought of Isabella or James had crossed her during their walk. When the Tilneys were gone, she became amiable again, but she was amiable from some time to little effect. Mrs. Allen had no intelligence to give that could relieve her anxiety, and she had heard nothing of any of them. Towards the end of the morning, however, Catherine having occasion for some indispensable yard of ribbon, which must be bought without a moment's delay, walked out into the town, and in Bond Street overtook the second Miss Thorpe, as she was loitering towards Edgar's buildings between the two of the sweetest girls in the world, who had been her dear friends all the morning. From her she soon learned that the party to Clifton had taken place. "'They set off at eight in the morning,' said Miss Anne, "'and I am sure I do not envy them their drive.' I think you and I are well off to be out of the scrape. It must be the dullest thing in the world, for there is not a soul at Clifton at this time of year. Bell went with your brother, and John drove Maria. Catherine spoke the pleasure she really felt on hearing this part of the arrangement. Oh, yes, rejoined the other. Maria is gone. She was quite wild to go. She thought it would be something very fine. I cannot say I admire her taste, and for my part I was determined from the very first not to go if they pressed me ever so much. Catherine, a little doubtful of this, could not help answering, "'I wish you could have gone, too. It is a pity you could not all go.' "'Thank you, but it is all quite a matter of indifference to me. Indeed, I would not have gone on any account. I was saying so to Emily and Sophia when you overtook us.' Catherine was still unconvinced, but glad that Anne should have the friendship of an Emily and a Sophia to console her, she bade her adieu without much uneasiness and returned home, pleased that the party had not been prevented by her refusing to join it, and very heartily wishing that it might be too pleasant to allow either James or Isabella to resent her resistance any longer. Uh, so was I right in hearing that Isabella didn't go? No, no, they went. 
Bella. It, it sounded it sounded like the two carriages were the two the two other sisters. No, Bella is Isabella. Bella's oh, the abbreviation right. of Isabella. Yeah. <laughs> I've just I've just uh seen her full name all along that I didn't put a nickname yeah. in place. Well, sister sister using a nickname. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they went um so John went with Maria and Be- Ben uh, Bell went with her brother. Um, and Maria really wanted to go, so there we go. That's fine. I, I don't know how much of it is Maria wanted to go and how much Isabella insisted that she goes and then how much of it is the fact that, that um, the sister's like, no, I'm, I'm happy not to go. Is she? Is she? Is she not? Anne, is she happy? Is she not happy? Who knows? Like, we, we can't entirely show. But no. Um, the language she's using is a lot of language of her... her um, Sister, uh. I was determined at the first to not go, not to go, if they pressed me ever so much. I would not have gone on any account. It's the kind of language her sister uses, and we know she models off her. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, Catherine's got such a good heart. Yeah, That's and she... and I mean, it's sad that we had to leave that chapter thinking of the Dorps, but for the m- most of it, we got uh, some insight into the Tilneys, and I do like that... Um, Eleanor doesn't really take her brother's bullshit. No, she stands up, and the fact that her she's like that is not a like it's actually a good impression because it's. I don't think Catherine really quite gets it. She doesn't understand his teasing. Mm. She's not. She is not fluent in the language of sarcasm and and and, and uh, satirical kind of communication. Which is well, may, maybe also. I don't know, it's weird, you know, there was the thing earlier, like much earlier, about how he was able to engage uh, Mrs. Allen in a talk about Muslim. But here, like, I really got, when he started rattling off, like, his reading prowess, I'm like, oh, this guy's a book nerd. Yeah, he's a massive book nerd. But also, um, remember, he was, he's apparently being trained to become a clergyman. Mm. So they, in theory, he'd be studying a lot. We get to know we have yeah we've gotten to know the Tilneys a little bit more and the fact that yeah, Eleanor don't take doesn't does not take sass. Yeah, although she, I mean she was fairly good natured about it, um, but I I don't know yeah, I'm having a hard time actually remembering a lot of that. I just remember laughing at much of it. It's like the way she responds, I think she's conscious. She told um, Catherine, or she tried to explain to Catherine, he's speaking to you in a very familiar, familiar, mm. familiar way. Because, well, technically also a familial way, because um, he's talking to you like your his sister, like the way he would talk to me. The problem is you don't uh, explain to Henry, mate. She doesn't know you that well to understand when you are being serious or when you are joking. So yeah, and Catherine uh, really does not have a sarcasm detector. She takes everything pretty much straightforward. She's very literal, and she's also um, she's not familiar enough, as we've mentioned before. She's a little naive when it comes to certain things um, in society. Uh... But they did. I feel like they did get closer. Like that whole bit about she knew nothing about drawing and she felt herself quite stupid listening into their conversation and then mm. um she admitted to her ignorance and uh henry started teaching her about well started teaching her yeah. about it and she caught on very quickly and was mm. enjoying it they both were enjoying their roles quite a great deal yeah and i think the the thing with that is also it's not because i'm wondering whether whether they're trying to point out that uh, because there was that whole paragraph where she's where the author, so where Jen Austen's going. Look, other people have written about this, and and fellow members of my my, my compatriots have written about uh, how to behave in order to make a man happy, kind of thing. Mm. And I, not to detract from that, but not all men actually see things that way. And um, but of course, many do. Um, at this time, at the time that this book was written. Well, not even that today. Yeah, and I'm trying to be nice to our listeners. Mm. Um, but yes, so it's it's a standard that is interesting and it's still ongoing as an issue. There there are moments in this where you're going, oh, 
oh wow that hasn't changed much um but (laughs) (laughs) so this idea but the question here is we can't tell we can't tell for sure like whether um henry understands that catherine doesn't understand things like that uh, that, for example, a girl who knows that a man likes a, a, a woman to be ignorant because it makes him look good, yes? Um, if you've got that kind of playing of game playing, and, okay, imagine Isabella in the same situation. Yeah. She also would say, oh, well, I don't know anything about drawing, I declare, kind of thing. Like, oh, me, me woman, me not know much. Um, and then you, and then doing that in order to attract the person that she presumes wants her not to know much and to be ignorant. So whereas Eleanor recognizes she doesn't actually know these things and is sincere and is legitimate about it. And but, um, yeah, I think also uh, Tilney also enjoys taking that role of teacher. Well, um, maybe, but there's a moment in here where he's kind of, he might be enjoying the teaching, but there was that moment where he kind of goes, um, uh, well, well not, not just uh, teaching, but he, it seemed like he did like to flex his ego, whether it was about the books, whether it was about history or uh, politics or, you know, he, yeah. but, but I, I mean, I guess that's, you know, that's just normal. We all want to feel important and like we, we, uh, especially he's trying to impress a young lady so he's going to yeah. kind of puff himself up a bit more well yeah part of it is 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 trying to to impress but also there's this one bit where he says um the lady said he laughed shall i make you understand each other or leave you to puzzle out an explanation i will be noble i will prove myself a man no less by the generosity of my soul than the clearness of my head um that that's when I uh, a swear escape my lips. <laughs> yes, I have no patience with such of my sex to disdain myself. So to disdain to let themselves sometimes down to the comprehension of yours. Yeah, like that kind of. Let me talk down to you because this is a, this it's humor. Like it's a joke, but the problem is that that's literally the attitude that exists, mm. and um, it's mocking and teasing them for misunderstanding each other. And to and be this, fair, yeah. I I didn't understand what Catherine was getting at either until uh, Tilney explained it. Yes, and I wonder if Catherine knew what she was saying before she explained it because she would have gone, "Who's her one very particular friend? The only one particular friend that mm-hmm. she has is Isabella, and we know how Isabella communicates, and I think Tilney knows how Isabella communicates." Right. And so she, he's kind of going, he's almost mocking his sister to make Catherine feel better, but at the same time is also, it's, it's a mess. Um, but he also points out their brother, Captain, Fred, Captain Frederick Tilney. He pointed out their brother, Captain Frederick Tilney there, hmm. that the reason that Miss Tilney took it seriously and was really worried is because their brother is stationed within the military. Right, right. Of course, and we talked about tension between him and his father. Well, if his brother's a captain and his father's a general and he has not chosen to go into the military, yeah, that yeah, could he's... be a source of tension. Yes, and so there's all these different things that you're kind of going, but he's he's kind of trying to, within this sarcastic kind of way, point out there's a reason she's not men- not understanding you and is going for the worst case scenario is because she's actually worried about our older brother. Mm. And I, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's that's understandable. That's the thing. Um, he also kind of um, he's obviously given away his age. He's he's probably the age of I'd say a little older than James. Um, my thoughts maybe reaching thirty. No, too old. Um, sounds bad, but twenty five, twenty six. Then yeah, twenty six, maybe yeah. 25, 26, because he's, he's, he's older than um, James. James, I can't remember, would be 21 or 22. Yeah. Say 26. So probably, you know, this is older than, than um, a lot of them. Older than Thorpe, definitely. But yes. Um, uh, uh, yes, the, the, there's some funny um, interactions there. Because mm. uh, I, I think yeah. it, when uh, 
Henry and Catherine are speaking together, especially with the playful way Henry likes to be, we get a lot more of, you know, it seems like Austin is using their conversation as an excuse to, yeah, to fire her barbs at the greatest society of the time. Yes, yes. She's definitely using a bit of um, Tilney to kind of mock some of the things like ladies must pretend and they must say that it's not fashionable when it actually, like, uh, as opposed to just being sincere and kind-hearted, which Catherine is our heroine, is. She is sincere. She is kind-hearted. Um, there was a thing that they, they um, described with the being good-hearted. I can't remember what it was now. Uh, we'll find it. Conclusion. No, can't find it. Um, but it was like this idea of this kind-heartedness in a, in a person. And she doesn't really have... Look, she's she's a quick learner, but she's obviously not been exposed to certain things. And, and we found out she struggles with um, history books. History books are too dense for her, too heavy for her, yeah, too that, boring. That was a interesting conversation, especially uh, Eleanor talking about how she likes reading history. Yeah, but she, she also said it in a way that wasn't looking down. Mm. Uh, Catherine's worry that the poor... The poor authors. I'm glad other people like the books and it's not just there to torment kids with. I'm sorry. There's a reason she gets teased by Tilney. Like, Well, wow. I, I also like that bit he said about, because, uh, yeah, her experience with, uh, like, torment is her mom trying to teach all her brothers and sisters. What is that, like, family's eight kids? Ten. Yeah, so, so obviously trying to... To, to teach them to read or to teach them history, yeah, that's that that's going to be difficult to say it mildly. And and Tilling's mm. like, well, look from that perspective, I can see why you would use the word torment. But isn't like two or three years of torment worth a lifetime of being able to enjoy exactly. the pleasures of reading? And then there's like that. Oh yeah, well yeah, that that makes sense. Like in order for us to learn how to read, we need to read materials that can also be more serious in nature. So. We have chapter 15 next episode. Um, and hopefully, we let's do we have like we don't know what's going to happen. We know that she's worried, she's not worried anymore by the Thorps because they still went out and they got to do their thing. So she's hoping that should be enough to put them in a good mood. We'll see. Well, here, here's here's my worry now because, um, yeah, I, I watched a great little lecture on uh, writing short stories. And it it was great because it really boiled down like how to structure any type of story, and you know at its most basic elements, it's um, character like character wants something. The end of the story is them getting what they want, and every step of the way you have to throw things in to stop them getting what they want. So obviously with this story, Catherine wants to end up with Mister Tilney, and this has been a very positive chapter because they got to know each other a little better. It was. Uh, she, she she had a good time with Eleanor. You know, basically mm. it was it was she's on a high after that walk, and I'm yep. now waiting for the for the Thorps to appear and to drag her back down and to create more uh, problems. And they haven't got to they haven't gotten to know. Um, well, he wants to get to know her. He said, "I want to get to know her. I want her to get to know me." But at the same time, there are some barriers already where his humor is, is probably going to be very difficult for her to decipher. Yeah, and um, the fact that she's going to have dinner at their place, maybe interactions with the general might not work out. Or, again, I'm thinking, now, will the Thorps try and um, make it so she it's difficult for her to attend that dinner? Mm-mm. So it's, it is all these things that could come up. I will say we are also halfway through the book. We are at the 45% mark, which usually in most novels we know. A big change happens about halfway through a story. Mm, usually. So let us see how this goes. So in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of So Many Books, So Little Time. As always this season, the music at the top of the podcast is by Charlie Mole, played by the Regency players of an adaption of Northanger Abbey. The music at the end of the podcast is... By Frank Zappa, I am the slime. And you can find me on Twitter at Rue McMoo, that's R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O. -O -O. 
And I'm over on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. You can find our Twitter page and Facebook page for the podcast at SMBSLT podcast. And if you put an at gmail.com to the end of that, you can email us as well. We would love to hear feedback on the episodes, on the book, what you think of the story so far, uh, what you think might be happening. If you have suggestions for books you would like to hear us cover in the future, we are we will take them under consideration. And if you are a subscriber via iTunes or via podcasts via Apple, um, please consider dropping a rating or a review um, as those ones tend to get... The mighty uh, algorithm. Well, those ones, they give us a, a direct feedback if you are not comfortable in writing or don't have the time. And it's mm. okay. We understand. Life life is busy. We get it. And on that note, we hope We, we that hope you have... you've, you've made uh, the, the busy and difficult life a little lighter. Yeah. Hope you had a bit of fun today. Enjoy your reading. Bye, everyone. Thank you.